Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Through the Keyhole. What's up, everybody? That includes patrons and that includes non-patrons. How is everyone doing today? It's the weather could not be better in Oklahoma. But if you are listening from outside of the state of Oklahoma, I hope that your weather is also treating you nice because at least in this neck of the woods, we get a few weeks of fall. We've been fortunate with a uh, you know uh, two consecutive weeks of actual fall weather, so we take that anytime we get it. Unfortunately for OU, they're going to Provo, and <laughs> I, I've asked my I asked my Alexa like two or three times this week. Hey, what's the weather going to be like on Saturday? What can we expect? Um, will there be a passing game? Will Dylan, Dylan Gabriel suck because you know the cold and the rain and the horrors? of the play calling. Um, unfortunately there, there could be some showers, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that point. We will. And this one's going to be a little special. Um, not because we are absent two of our co-hosts, but because I am here, as you can hear Brady Trantham here, I am here, but I'm also joined by one of the other co-hosts, Mr. Peyton Guthrie, because he wants to go see Victor Wimbanyama tonight. Peyton, you're in my house. How'd you get here? I am. Oh, I drove the automobile. You know, thank you, uh, uh, Ford, for uh, making that happen with the uh, uh, assembly line, allowing us all to have affordable vehicles at this point in time, which I guess maybe now of how the economy is inflation, uh, affordable vehicles are getting harder and harder to, uh, to come by. Uh, but no, yeah, going to go watch the uh, the Spurs play against uh, some local Oklahoma City team, I think. Uh, get to watch the, the sideshow of Victor Womanyama. Uh, it should be pretty fun. I know Oof. I got his tickets for that, so it should be great. Luckily for us, or maybe uh, ill-luckily, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, unluckily, not ill-luck is no word. Uh, the Spurs are missing, I think, two of their starters, another one of their key rotation Typical guys. Typical pop fashion, just just sitting guys. Just for sitting an, guys. An important in-season tournament game. Just sitting guys. So it's a good thing is Victor will be playing. It does seem like he will be the main engine of the Spurs uh, team. This So we should get the full complement of Victor Wuminyama, uh tonight. Uh, it won't be able to defer to Trey Jones and stuff like that. So yeah. that should be nice to see. No, I'm actually I'm pretty excited um, to, to see this game. It'll obviously be the first time that I get to see Chet Holmgren in person. And obviously the first time that I will have seen Victor Wimbenyama in person after watching him for the last two or three years yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in Europe over in France and just hearing about everything there is to know about him, all the hype surrounding him, and seeing it kind of already pay some dividends. Like the dudes, to say he's a freak is just putting it lightly. I even hate saying it because it's so lazy. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't encompass what he 
already is and what he can potentially be. Um, and, the, and the same can be kind of said, at least in terms of the NBA for the Thunder, in terms of their potential. Um, they're already really showing signs of growth. Um, as a Heat fan, but as a native Oklahoman, I'm excited for uh, the Thunder. I'm excited for this game. But luckily for you, not unluckily for you, but luckily for you, you're going to get a free T-shirt tonight. Oh, nice. They're, they're, it- put, they're, putting out, they're putting out tournament tournament t-shirts, t-shirts nice. in, in the paycom center it's gonna be wild jimmy butler would kick everyone's ass on this floor anyway back to the football <laughs> we are back like i said but because um this game was on tuesday and peyton was coming to come watch it uh from southeast oklahoma we just decided to go ahead and take advantage of having two people from the same podcast in person record this one uh alan did promise i'm going to hold him to this he did he did say that he would write some more which is always a great thing uh, because alan is a very very talented writer and for those who are not patrons he does publish quite a bit each week in addition to my monday post which became a tuesday post this week because i was busy at work yesterday but alan has observations he has Picks of the week. He's got every little thing you could probably think of on patreon.com slash through the keyhole if you are interested in helping support. We are almost to 100 patrons, and we would love for you to be the 100th. If you are the 100th patron, you know what? I might send you something. So uh, feel free to jump on in. Let us know how you enjoy it, and I'll uh, get in contact with you and maybe send you an OU t-shirt that hasn't been worn. Who knows? And also... If you haven't already, this helps the podcast out. Please leave a five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or four or three or two if you think we suck. But we try to be honest. Peyton's honest. Alan's honest. Matt Burton's honest. And we're here. But let's get directly to the story of the day, which is unfolding before our very eyes, Peyton. Uh, Earlier today, you and I were at the gym. And yeah, that was a humble brag. But we were at the gym, and apparently the Big 12 is changing their fucking rules because, oh, they can't have OU in Texas in the Big 12 title game. That would be a bad look. But maybe that's not necessarily the terminology we should be using, but, I mean, it just it, it clicks. It sells. OU fans are mad at the officiating crews. They're mad at the Big 12. I understand why both sides are mad at each other, Peyton, but um, from what you've been able to gather... I guess at least set the table for those who have been completely unplugged for the last five, six hours, um, because we've all kind of had this idea in our mind that there is not necessarily a very convoluted scenario in order to get OU into the Big 12 title game. Of course, they've got to win out. Mm -hmm. Certain teams have to lose. Um, We we all understand that. But from what has at least changed, at least in terms from the Big 12 office's mouth, what has happened... And why are fans pissed off about it? So I believe 48 hours ago, how it broke down, and this was confirmed according allegedly to uh, Kansas State writers uh, and to the administration, I believe. Again, this is all he said, she said at this point in time. That uh, if there's a three-way tie, this is confirmed by Big 12 again, allegedly, according to the rumor mill, grapevine, all that kind of stuff. If there's a three-way tie uh, at the top of the standings for second place or first place or whatever, and all three teams did not play each other, they would uh, basically uh, uh, vacate head-to-heads because it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't be able to apply it equally. And then it would immediately drop down to, uh, I think, like winning percentage of so on and so forth. And uh, it was clarified to K-State that if everyone were to win out from this point on, um, K-State would be the one going on. 
uh, from that perspective. Um, then I guess it kind of got weirded out. Potentially some Oklahoma State fans or Oklahoma State uh, uh, administration said, hey, that's kind of strange because we would have played the two teams were tied with this three-way tie and, and have beaten them. Uh, from that perspective, that's where it kind of come through. And, and honestly, that's how I kind of feel about it. I know it kind of sucks as an OU fan, but Oklahoma State would have beaten Kansas State and Oklahoma uh, in in a in a three-way tie. I believe they should be the ones to continue on and to move on to a Big 12 championship. But that's what we're looking at right now. Uh, I've heard there's going to be some level of clarification of that ruling uh, that will be laid out tomorrow. Um, according to, to George Stoya, there has been no communication of that being made to the University of Oklahoma. So we'll all see what happens on Wednesday. But that's kind of where we where we set right now is this Big 12 uh, conference having to clarify its tiebreaker rules, which have already been clarified, uh, but now they may be re-clarifying them or maybe tweaking something because you have some uh, Oklahoma State writers or uh, maybe some uh, state media who are more Oklahoma State inclined or more Oklahoma State connected saying, hey, based on what we believe the new clarification will be, uh, Big 12 will reinsert head-to-head for this type of thing uh, to imply, to kind of like then prompt Oklahoma State to be the one to go to the Big 12 championship game. My assumption when this rule was written was that – the Big 12 must have assumed there would have been a three-way tie with like, um, uh, so, so let's say it this way. Let's say it's a big. Tw- let's say they they thought it was this way. Let's say they thought it was uh, Texas, K State, Oklahoma State. Let's say that was the tie because you have Oklahoma State not playing Texas, Texas not playing Oklahoma State, and KSU playing Texas. That's probably the scenario they thought it was because there's only one head-to-head to invalidate because the other two teams didn't play. They probably, for whatever reason, didn't think um, it would have been like one team having played the two others and having winning uh, records over them. Or they thought and looked at it and said, hey, if we're vacating one, then we have to vacate them all. If that's the case, if that's kind of a, you know, a, 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 a whatever fairness to it across the board, that's also fine. Just stand on it that way. Just stand on your business and said, hey, we decided that in any way, shape, or form, there's a three-way tie. We're invalidating head-to-heads because we have to do it from these other scenarios. We don't want to do an if-then statement for all these tiebreaker things. We just want to say if it's a three-way tie, there's no head-to-heads because it's, it, you know, unless everyone's played against each other. So, because it's literally impossible. We're an unbalanced league. We don't have divisions anymore, so on and so forth. I mean, Big 12 didn't have divisions, but now they're big enough. They're not going to get divisions, so on and so forth. Uh, they've just put themselves in this weird little quagmire of everything, uh, quagmire of this, but I would expect them to probably come out tomorrow with a clarification, and if that clarification is not the following, what was in not a complete clarification of due to the rules that were implied or enforced before implemented before the season kicked off in a case of a three-way tie, which all three teams have not played, we will invalidate or not, maybe not invalidate the wrong word, but we'll not look at head to head because it does not apply because all teams didn't play. And we'll go to winning record at that point in time, winning percentage of teams played. They have to do that in my opinion, because that was, that's what was written. I understand maybe this is a case, but I don't, I don't think if sets weird to me, if you've said it, 
there are scenarios in which you would do that, but then you say, but this scenario is the reason why we wouldn't do it. Maybe it's more true to the game. It would be, you know, it's unfair to Oklahoma State, I, I guess, at that point in time because they'd be tied two teams they've beaten. But uh, much like uh, Oklahoma State uh, defensive back tackling uh, Drake Soup's in the end zone, fairness don't really play sometimes. Sometimes you got to just roll with what the conference says. All I want them to do is at least make a flow chart or make some visual chart because everything you just said, oh boy. <laughs> so let me, let me let me just get this straight. Peyton, not a conspiracy guy. Or are you a conspiracy guy? I think if you were to if you were to look at the conspiracy, you would sit there and say the Big Twelve, which are losing their two paycheck programs, <laughs> would they really? Because here's what, if I were a conspiracy theory guy... What you're describing is motive. Motive, motive. (laughs) The motive to me would be, get Texas, Oklahoma in this, milk them for everything they're worth, because they are are bypassing the the revenue they're generating this year uh, to get out without having to pay anything. So basically, you put them in these positions, you, you want Texas in the playoff, you want OU in the New York Six game, New York six game, uh, New Year six game, <laughs> so you can get as much money out of those programs as possible to distribute to the remaining guys. If that's what's going to happen, the numbers are going to move a certain way. If it's OU Texas, that's just how it's going to be. I know there's certain allotments and stuff that uh, uh, help you out, regardless of who it is. Like the New Year six is paid out no matter what, so on and so forth. Uh, and maybe it's embarrassing, but you're going to have more eyes. You're going to have the brand. Um, it just seems weird that you would you'd pass up money just to spite yourself. Yeah. Um, well, okay. From a philosophical standpoint, let me just kind of get this out there because I, I think I've probably said this in so many different scattered thoughts over the last two or three post game shows, which you can which you can listen to on Patreon of uh, the No Cap Recap on Sunday following the OU game. Um. In my opinion, OU has forfeited its right to um, feel like in any scenario that plays out, if they win out and Texas wins out, OSU wins out, look, I'm sorry. If the Big 12 puts out a, um, a scenario in which even if like Texas loses and then OSU wins out and OU wins out and OU is still on the outside looking in, I'm sorry, we forfeited our chance. And, yeah, I know that that doesn't apply to Texas, but I'm not a Texas fan. I don't give a shit about them outside of when we play them. And this isn't a Texas podcast. So, am I, like, my high standard of being an OU fan, OU forfeited its its shot by running reverses and running jet sweeps and direct snaps to guys who have played three or four plays in conference play by game nine and ten by getting cute and making some unforced errors like they 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 blew their chance now that doesn't mean that I don't want them to go out against BYU and and lose I want them to win out and if a scenario plays out where it does allow OU to make it back to the big tall title game I'll of course be happy but from the standpoint of my silly high standard of being an OU fan I just can't sit there and look at a situation where OU is 10 and 2 and yeah, they're clearly better than OSU despite having lost them, or they're clearly better than Kansas State if you want to believe that um, and think, well, we should be there. I want to be there, but that's what happens when you fuck around, essentially. And OU fucked around for really three weeks, uh, but mainly two, and lost those games. And Kansas is a pretty good team, and OSU 
was playing their best football <laughs> of the season and just simply didn't make as many mistakes as OU did. And now uh, OSU is kind of reverting back to probably what they are, not 45-3 to three bad, but they're not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. OU lost their shot. Uh, but again, they still have a lot to play for. And if that scenario pops up and they're in the Big Tall title game, then so be it. But again, it's just... I hate being in these situations. I even remember in 2008, Peyton being upset that OU was in the situation with yeah. the whole head to head against Texas. They lost that game. They of course beat Texas tech and beat the living hell out of them. And then by virtue of tech beating Texas prior to, and all three teams being uh, one loss and highly ranked. OU got the last oomph into the big tall title. And while I of course agreed with OU shot there because there were factors like yes texas beat ou but i mean ou lost a very important player in that game and they were unable to really uh, pivot from that and that really played into texas winning that game so it it was really hard to just sit there with like a straight face and say oh yeah texas is much better than ou they proved it on the field it's like well they had a huge fortuitous injury because Texas fans will turn around and say if Colt McCoy didn't get hurt against Alabama in the national title game we'd have won so it's like no no no, you can't you can't do that over here but not do that over there so um I hated it then I enjoyed how it played out but I hated like having to take that argument and listen to it and still feel kind of gross about it um and I kind of hate it right now so I'm just trying to look at this with blinders I'm trying to look at it like Brent Venables I'm just trying to go one and oh this week just want to beat BYU and then whatever plays out plays out. So that's how I'm trying to look at it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe my high standard is silly. I mean, I don't know how you feel. No, I don't see you look at it from the 2008 thing. And that one's a little bit of of a strange uh, predicament in my mind because Oklahoma had played in such a high level of competition uh, beyond that. And it did have the one injury and it kind of kept things out. Uh, but then they went on and scored 60 points on, on you know everyone in existence uh, until they came down uh, to that title game in which everyone thought they're going to hurry up and they're going to do and they're going to do a four three and then Bob according to his own book switched it to a huddle up and a three four which uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that's the big ten it, in him man yeah, yeah it is the big ten in him um, and OU still played in a level in which they should have won that game. Uh, yeah, I think if you Yikes. replay that game, oh, you probably win seven out of ten times, and maybe that's me being a huge giant uh, homer. I don't look at this from a 2000 perspective. The reason why I don't is because that 08 team was a national cha- national caliber championship team. I see this as a 2006 team uh, who was out of it, and they needed oh, they needed uh, Texas to lose two weeks in a row. Well, they and sh- what did Texas do? They lost. lost two weeks in a row okay, uh, yeah. getting Oklahoma into that conference game uh, to allow them to beat Nebraska, s- Nebraska, which yeah. is awesome, and then, then to get beat by uh, Boise, Boise that year. Yeah. Uh, and I think that just kind of shows you the shell of the team that it was. Or it just wasn't really uh, from that perspective. Uh, I-, I see it from that perspective of this is a team that's um, – on the rise or on the climb to a certain they're, degree. They're on the doorstep yes. and, a, and a handful of places that you want, but not every place like the zone coverage in the secondary yeah. that that's maybe a year or two away. Um, or maybe a never thing. <laughs> maybe a never thing. But you have to look at it. I mean, they're right now they're eight and two, 10 games in last year at 10 games in there were five and five. I mean, this is a massive amount of growth. Um, they've played a couple, they've played obviously two losses, which, you change one possession, 
or you get a referee to call one thing a different direction, uh, they're undefeated right now. Um, or you look at the UCF game that they play, they call a different two point conversion and maybe OU's nine and one regardless. I mean, there's only yeah. three games this year that have caused me complete massive heartburns uh, as opposed to every game last year. So I think that is a, a good step in the right direction. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405 321 3100. That's 405 321 3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Maine and Barrie, just two miles east of I 35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard to find bourbon in store. I'll put a bow on this conversation and I do want to back up to the West Virginia game since you weren't on the no cap recap. So I want your thoughts on that 59 to 20 win. But uh, typically, like to kind of further illustrate what high standard of um, that I talk about when I'm talking about myself as an OU fan and what do I expect? Usually I kind of look at any OU season blindly like this. You take the opportunity to play in a playoff game uh, over a guaranteed win in a new year six. And so usually that might mean like in most cases that might also include that you've won the big 12. Now moving forward, that probably won't be the case. If you, if you don't win the SEC, like you can get to a New Year's Six Bowl without winning the SEC. I think that that's a, there's a higher chance of that than if OU as a non-Big 12 champion or even participant doesn't make a New Year's Six Bowl compared to them being in the SEC with the new format moving forward. But um, I would take the opportunity to play in a playoff game over a guaranteed win in a New Year's Six Bowl. And that comes with the, the notion that that opportunity to play in a playoff game might come with a gigantic and utter failure of a loss like we have seen. Um, I would have rather have been shellacked by Alabama in the Orange Bowl in 2018 than uh, not made the playoff and, you know, winning the whatever New Year's Six Bowl was that year. It's just a weird way I look at it. You always take the opportunity. Having said that, if OU goes 10-2, and they don't make the Big 12 championship because of some weird scenario the Big 12 spits out tomorrow um, on Wednesday. And they get to a New Year's Six Bowl and they win that and they finish 11-2. and two. I think considering what Brent Venables was handed, what OU had to go through in terms of the shit storm and all the, the shit talking from, oh, Lincoln spurned OU, this has never happened, OU is going to be the next Nebraska, uh, all, everything that came with that, the players that left, you lose a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in Caleb Williams. What program bounces back from something like that? Considering all that, in year two, if Brent Venables and OU are 11-2 and two with a New Year's Six Bowl win, I think that, that bodes so well for the trajectory of the program, where it is right now in terms of recruiting, where it's going in terms of recruiting, where it is even in development of certain players across the roster. I think that 11 and 2 with a bowl win or hopefully a New Year's Six bowl win bodes much more well than than potentially backdooring an 
into the Big 12 title game in a certain way and potentially losing that and then losing or winning the Alamo Bowl. And I hate saying all that because, again, my philosophy is take the best opportunity. But I think with how unique the situation has been for the last two and a half, three years and now moving forward in the short term, OU needs the best possible like good era of good feelings. And that, to me, is finishing off the regular season strong and then winning a high-end bowl game, not losing to Kansas State or not losing to Texas in the Big 12 championship or not losing to Oklahoma State and then winning or losing the Alamo Bowl. And I hate saying that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that perspective because, you. I mean, I know when Josh, I believe it was Josh, would always talk about the playoff stuff being like, oh, you don't want to have another loss, yada, yada, yada. And to me, it's always, you, you know, you have to be in it to win it. And being in those people, people forget. I mean, to be honest with you, people forget. It, what they don't forget those when people when OU can say we've been to five playoffs, you know, and then that just, it's just a thing you can send out that's on your uh, recruiting postcard thing. <laughs> it's like we've been there. It's like that. Yeah, we didn't win a national championship, but that's when Alabama and Georgia were winning them all. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, so there's a part of it that you know you want to say we were doing that. Now, a Big Twelve championship does that really fucking matter? You know, it's, it's just another one on the top. This is another one onto the pile. Like we've been to 87 conference championship game or whatever yeah, at this point in time. So does it matter? It's OU in this very strange place where it just needs to stack. Uh, and I hate saying this cause I feel like such like, I don't know, like a Gen Z or type of guy. Uh, they seem to Zach, they need to stack good vibes <laughs> around the program. And, and a good vibe of that would be 11 and two, uh, you know, going 10 and two, winning a big, winning a, uh, a bowl game, it would be even better, and I know there's a lot of people saying like, "Oh, I would hate this. This would be the worst ever." If if OU could go down to San, uh, San Antonio, play Lincoln Riley and the Trojans, and beat them, it would just be like an exorcism on this fan base. He'd opt out, dude. I, I know. That, I, mean, I mean, Caleb wouldn't play. It'd, <laughs> it'd be a half a thing, but none of that matters because most because if you really look at historically, most of OU's bowl games have been played against half teams, <laughs> uh, but that neither here nor there. Um, the wins, at least the losses they played straight up, you know, you, you could. But the thing is, the losses have usually been against other playoff teams. Uh, so usually, to go there is much opt out. You know, the Florida game, the Oregon game, so on and so forth. Doesn't matter. Win by thirty. Do the whole thing. Everyone can just like finally just dissipate and be like that's gone now. Like there is no like because everyone. I remember everyone. Like, well, we'll play him again one day, and we'll do this, this, and this. It's like, hey, the chances here potential is to get done. Now, that's even more casting way into the future. I would suggest this. We're on to BYU. Get ready for BYU. We'll get to BYU in a second. West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Mountain boys, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, coming into that game, I mean, a lot of the talk was this is one of, if not the best offensive line that OU is going to face in conference and probably by virtue of that all season long. Um, West Virginia certainly had talent uh, on the offensive line. They had some they had some speed, not necessarily talent, but they had speed in the back end on their secondary. And we all know what the challenge that uh, Garrett McGee or Garrett McGee, Garrett Green. Garrett Green. See, it was from my Tuesday post today. I mentioned yep. the '94 Cotton Bowl. Garrett McGee. My my bad. Old timers or people slightly older than me. Uh, but we we know the challenge that Green as a court as a mobile quarterback kind of presents. Just going back to last year. So having said all that, and then. Essentially, kind of the the atmosphere around the program following two very very porous performances on offense. And I I, th- I picked OU to win, and I think I picked them to cover. 
I didn't feel good about it. I just didn't think West Virginia was as good as people were trying to build them to be. I didn't think West Virginia was as good as like their record even kind of showed them to be. They should have been better because they blew that, like Houston beat them uh, in Houston on that Hail Mary, that once-in-a-lifetime play. So they, their record should have been better. I I just I just looked at it and thought, they're slightly worse than Kansas or OSU, just that level of team in the Big 12. They're slightly worse than that even though they do have some talent here and there. It was a game that I just thought, oh, you should dominate, but I just don't know if they are going to because I don't know where the mind is, the mindset is of this team. Having said all that, they answered the question. They answered it emphatically that uh, they still understand that there's a lot to play for. It was as good of a performance as you could ask for. And, I mean, Peyton, I said it on the no-cap recap, I can't remember the last time that the offense and the defense for an OU team uh, considering what we expect of each unit, played so well together in the same game. Because I know that there are like some 52 to 17 scores from the Lincoln-Riley era, but those were like surprising. Oh, well, the defense actually did some good stuff today, and then they would give up 40 points the next week. Considering what we expect from the defense, what we saw against West Virginia, coupled with the offense and Dylan Gabriel, that was about as good of a performance as you can ask for, and uh, it was a it was the most needed sign that we needed to see moving forward for the last few games. The, the West Virginia thing that I don't see, I, I, I'm of two camps on this thing. So I, the, that game watching it, and I apologize if, if I'm not answering your, your direct question uh, or, or prompt, but the, the game actually frustrated me more than uh, excited me because I think OU just played to, to their actual potential that game. Uh, offense and defense did play complimentary football. There you go. Yeah, they took care of it. Uh, and they were able to do this stuff. I mean, OU's able to get three and outs. They were able to move the ball. They scored. Uh, they took care of stuff. Uh, there's some oddities in that. You know, the running game was still kind of strange to a certain degree. I mean, it was just the best version of one Oklahoma offense and Oklahoma defense is could be paired together versus a, a power five team at that point in time. You yeah. Know? Uh, you know, the power run game wasn't there. So you have Dylan Gabriel who – Set the records. I mean, the number one scoring quarterback, or, or you know, TD's responsible for you know, you history now uh, with eight surpassing Baker, who had seven at that point in time, which I can't remember the game. It must must Land- be the Landry threw six. Sam had thrown five a handful yeah. of times. There have been a handful of like five passing touchdowns yeah. by like Jason and Sam yeah. and Landry, um, but I think six was the most passing. No, but not they, most passing. It's uh, uh, com- I, full, I, com- yeah. yeah pass, I'm yeah, trying so. to remember what did Baker yeah. do against Patrick Mahomes. Just, just keep talking. He scored a lot, but yeah. I think Baker <laughs> had Baker had seven completely combined with some rushing touchdowns, and then um, uh, then you have Dylan Gabriel scoring, I believe, every single touchdown <laughs> against uh, yeah. K State. Uh, so good for him. Getting, uh, no, K State, uh, West Virginia. So good for him getting that done. Uh, but yeah, still kind of strange there on the passing on the. Uh, Bake, power rushing stuff. Bake just had seven passing touchdowns, and that was it. Okay, it was just, so that's it, what was it was just seven, just straight passes. <laughs> uh, so, and then the defense was able to take care of some stuff. Now, the defense did have some uh, gaps in coverage. I mean, uh, West Virginia helped the defense out. Uh, if you watch Garrett Green do stuff within the process of the offense, he was just missing guys, <laughs> pretty wide open. Uh, now, if you got their chance to run around and do a couple of things, uh, he he did okay. Now, if you were to listen to the uh, opponent preview podcast, I did. Um, me and uh, Joel from uh, Smoking Musket, we talked about it. They, they're kind of excited about Garrett Green because according to PFF, he grades out as the second best Big 12 quarterback right behind Dylan and things of that nature. And I was like, well, to me, he's, he's more of a gamer slash difference maker. 
because he can run. So if you're if your run game's clicking and it's third and three a bunch and stuff like that, and it's, they're tight games, he could be a very interesting guy because he's very fast, he's athletic, he can run, he can make some crazy, you know, he can help you out. Now, if you just need to operate the offense to keep up, he's not your quarterback. He just won't be. You know, he's not going to be able to throw the ball effectively. He even when this, uh, you know, Joel uh, from Smoky Musk was saying that, I was like, yeah, but he's only like a 51, 53 percent completion. Lift, he can't lift the offense. No, he by can't. running the offense. Correct. Yeah. The only way he could do it is just exactly how he did it last year against OU, where he just was the beneficiary of breakdowns on a bad defense. Yeah. And, oh yeah. OU just couldn't set the edge. I mean, yeah. Green just did what he did. Now, there's some stuff I did like seeing. Is that Green was not afraid to test OU deep. He just constantly threw it deep down the sideline. To Kanai Walker, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> they basically found the guy, and he held up decent. Uh, I, I won't lie to that. But um, there was a couple of plays. There's a, there a very weird pass interference call which in the in the end zone, which should not have been called. Yeah. There was not pass interference. But sometimes you have to deal with it. It's just how it is. You just got to roll with it. It is what it is. Oh, you just got cool a reputation. Is, oh, you just have a reputation of, yeah. of being handsy, being, you know, stuff like that. The cool thing is, is that Brent didn't get called for a sideline infraction <laughs> this game. So we have positives. For I didn't even forward. think about that. Uh, that's that's growth. But the thing that uh, that did fault me is that, uh, you know, the special teams did not play well. I mean, they punted some stuff, but, you know, two muffed punts, you just can't have that happen. And towards the end of the game, you know, Gavin Freeman was taken out. Uh, and he had Stoops back there, I believe, catching the the last few. And even then, I'm not for sure. I haven't done the complete rewatch. I'm not sure if Gavin Freeman even had an offensive snap um, uh, this game. And we saw him. We even talked about it. Um, there was only one true jet sweep called the entire game, from my understanding. Uh, now there was like the uh, the jet sweep, which was actually a flared pass for. Uh, it's, it's it's like an option keeper thing. It's an attach. It's an RPO to style thing. It's not like an actual jet sweep. But they did run a jet sweep one time to Farouk and not to uh, Gavin, and Farouk was able to pick up like eight yards or so in the red zone area. So it almost feels like Brent went to Lebby. And again, I'm just as a fan here and just said, hey, we got to go north-south. We can't keep doing this. It's not working. I love Gavin much. You know, the the one guy we heard talk about Gavin more than any other coach is Brent Venables, talking about how he's the best wide receiver and all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, Gavin just didn't play. And that caused OU to change its scheme to much more north-south, much more QB run game uh, oriented just from simple zone reads and QB power. Uh, and that helped out a lot, to be honest with you. It clarified the system. Um, you know, I had uh, Adam Lunt on talk before the Bedlam game and um, just talked about the simplification of OSU's offense and how that kind of turned their season around. Now, it didn't help them against UCF whatsoever. But – what you need to do is say, here, here's the five things we do well. And we are going to do those five things. And if you want to get complicated, do them out as many formations as possible. But you're still just doing those five things. You know? yeah. You're know, you making the defense account for, for formations, but you're still playing the same. It, the concepts don't change. So if you're trying to do weird, funky stuff every single play, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And there, and, but there's a key difference here, and I feel like I'm rambling, but there's a key difference between um, – what Oklahoma did against SMU, which was just inside inside zone, it was frustrating. Uh, Fifty is what times they did. a game yes. versus what they did to West Virginia, which was we we're going to play our core playbook. Um, we're going to have a balance of run and pass. Now, the, Oklahoma isn't a team that's built to play like Michigan did against Penn State. Which, and if everyone watched this, everyone I saw a bunch of people saying like, "This proves that JJ McCarthy actually isn't good." No. 
it proves that Penn State wasn't going to stop Michigan from running the football. So why would Michigan ever pass? Yeah. They ran it, I believe, like 30 straight times. <laughs> and they didn't complete it. They didn't even attempt to pass in the second half of the game, I believe. So if you can't be stopped, just keep running football. It doesn't make any sense. And the issue with the SMU game was that OU, Oklahoma was being stopped. <laughs> That's was super frustrating thing about yeah. that game. Uh, and then Lebby would do a couple of drives where he'd sprinkle in pass and run, and they'd score immediately uh, when the game kind of got in a weird little in doubt type of moment. Uh, in this game, he played that way the entire time. He called the game that way the entire time. There was execution stuff, but um, that's going to happen when you have players that are very talented and very good and fast and strong. Uh, they can over they can you know compensate for somebody else maybe missing a block or and this kind of thing. Um, and what ends up happening, you have a Dylan Gabriel career game. You have a, uh, uh, a Drake Stoops, obviously, career game. And we have a, a Austin, Austin Stogner career game, to be honest with you. <laughs> for, uh, for me, he's not like a prolific you know pass catcher for anything, but multiple catches, multiple tu- uh, one touchdown, maybe multiple. I can't quite remember. He had one. Uh, one um, 69 yards. And then for, and also, and obviously uh, a career game so far, or one of, hopefully, of, of, of a streak of quote-unquote career games for uh, Nick Anderson, you know, doing as well. Uh, now leading the nation after a certain amount of catches, uh, minimum catches at 25.7 yards yeah. uh, completion. So, I mean, now emerging as a, a true downfield threat. But I do think, I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, the Texas Lulls real. I don't care what anybody says about it. It was real. They were not sharp in these other games, and they played teams in which you had to be sharp against because these, like, uh, uh, Kansas and West Virginia. Uh, I'm sorry, Kansas, U- UCF. There was those were games where like, hey, we're gonna pull, we're gonna do shifts, we're gonna move. You gotta be paying attention nonstop. You can't just show up and like, hey, we're just gonna win because we're Oklahoma. They showed up to those games, almost lost U- UCF, lost Kansas, and then weird stuff happened in in, uh, in Stillwater. So it is neither here nor there. Uh, they showed up on point and on par for where Oklahoma should be against West Virginia. So I'm not too like overly psyched about it. I am just more frustrated to see this is what you should have just been doing. Like, why weren't you just doing this? Doesn't make any sense. And there's talks and everything, but I, I don't know. I, to me, just from a fan, like after Texas and after you know UCF and people were saying like, oh no, yeah, we're in this. We're our heads on straight. This is what we're doing. Uh, that stuff kind of felt kind of weird, stuff like that. But after the uh, Oklahoma State loss, the um, the Drake Stoops video. I mean, I get chills just thinking about. It. And I mean, that's that's to me, that's something you put on the wall uh, when they're like, "Is there something to play for?" And he kind of looks, he's like scoff. He's like, "Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't even do the steel mill. Like he's literally seems like he's covered in coal coming out from the job. Like, that's how Al Zaxon is. Uh, you know, basically saying like, "Yeah, I, I I work for this. This is what I do. We could be eight. No, I'm still busting my ass out here to do this thing or busting my tail because he's you know he's from uh, uh, he's on <laughs> he's on TV. The kids are watching. He's from a hardworking family, uh, middle class family, so he can't be cursing. <laughs> but I mean to see that and hear that perspective, like true football guy, I think maybe some of that finally kind of seeped into here, being like, "Hey, stuff happened. Our quote unquote big time goal is now gone. The playoffs are gone, but um." We still got to show up. We still got to work. We still got to do stuff, and we got to do it for each other. Uh, I think that ha- that seems to have rung true for that. Now, is it going to continue? Who knows? The team has been Jack and Hyde so far. Um, on offense. On offense so far. Um, do they play any teams that are left on their schedule that can really test them defensively? No, unless Oklahoma decides to not bring a B game on defense. Um, yeah. That's something we could look at in the future. Yeah, yeah this defense has had – bad drives they've had bad quarters 
but they've not had really a bad half or even a like let alone a bad game and you can point to like some individual games like texas is going to get a lot of yards and score some points because they're the best one of the best teams in the conference if not the best team at least playing right now and one of the best teams in the country and certainly very talented so of course that's going to happen but i mean even in that three game stretch ucf kansas and oklahoma state I mean, the defense really just surrendered four bad drives, I think, total, if I if I try to remember broadly. I mean, the, the final drive of the first half, where that was just the one play, that 80-yard kind of QB scramble by John Rice Plumley, and then he flicks it to the guy streaking down the sideline. The final drive of the UCF game that led to a touchdown and the potential game-winning two-point conversion that OU stopped. And then you had the, the game-winner for Kansas – and then probably the first drive against Oklahoma State just because of the missed tackles. And other than that, it's been the offense just shittily putting the defense in bad positions because of unforced errors, turnovers, uh, going three and out or having to punt very quickly, and the defense just gets tired after they've kind of kicked ass. So, I mean, my brain tells me, Peyton, that all this should continue because this is what we've seen. And you're right, like the challenge that BYU and TCU collectively pose to OU's defense pales in comparison to what UCF or Kansas or even Oklahoma State, I mean, probably more so Kansas and UCF pose in terms of like the window dressing, the offensive play calling and scheme that they possess. BYU don't have that. TCU doesn't have that. So again, like really what it comes down to is we don't need to see bad tackling like we saw in the first half against Kansas. We don't need to see bad tackling like we saw on the first drive against Oklahoma State. We just need to see a lot of what we've seen all year. And then you just have to hope, because the other side of that that I kind of just described, you know, the offense, then you just hope that, well, whatever Brent told Jeff, continue to do that because the last thing you want to do is now you can get cute. No, 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 no. Just like Drake Stoop said, there's still a lot to play for. It's not time to showcase how much of a genius you are uh, for that next head for that, you know, first initial head coaching job in the future, hopefully soon. Yeah. Talking. And again, like a small, small segue, uh, you know, head coaching jobs and stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, A&M is open. Not, not to say Levy would get an A&M job, but can maybe, just say maybe, that, maybe, an, maybe an OC position. Can I just <laughs> say, yeah, uh, it would be an absolute, I think it'd be an absolute nightmare and be careful what you wish for scenario. If Levy got hired at, Texas A&M I don't think he would you know as as a head coach I don't think A&M would do that but man that would be like with their NIL infrastructure how much money they have what they are as an institution that's a that's a program that Levy could go to as the head coach if he was hired and I would be nervous for a handful of players to follow him whether they be on the roster right now or players that are committed that would make me nervous. Him going anywhere else, I'm I'm pretty confident that whatever guys OU has, at least on the roster, would probably stay. And you might lose a player or two on the recruiting trail just because that's just what happens. But oh man, when AM fired Jimbo Fisher, you know, my brain went through like boom, 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 and then this nightmare scenario where, oh God, am I gonna get my wish and Levy gets the head a head coaching job somewhere else and it's AM, a a school that has for reasons been annoying on the recruiting trail, please don't let that happen. Yeah, he wouldn't be head coach. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't <laughs> and, think an so offensive either. coordinator position could open up for him at, at a place like A and uh, I don't know if A would go that route mainly because of the new uh, 
I, I think it's not new, obviously, but all the facts of the Baylor case were posted recently. Uh, I think today, um, where there's like text messages and all that type of stuff between uh, Star and, and Art Bryles and them saying, "Oh, so and so's not going to report," and I'm working with the cops to make sure they don't say anything. It's like, oh, so everyone just knew <laughs> you can't because before then, because of the, the the Pepperdine or whatever it was called, reports was like never made public. They could always like say, "Well, uh, who knows what was actually done." But now a lot of those text messages and uh, communications have been uh, released to the public. Yikes. Uh, and it's not good. <laughs> we always knew it wasn't good, but now it's like on paper, with these people not being good. So I think that really tempers the water of him at a big-time place once OU leaves him. Would I, uh, And I say that to say UCLA apparently is rumored from a tweet 30 minutes ago uh, from when we were recording this that they'll Ooh. be firing uh, Chip Kelly uh, soon. Um, you know, the Mississippi State job is open. There's a bunch of jobs that are open in which Jeff Libby could find himself as an offensive coordinator there before then making a next step. Or if the dominoes keep falling, uh, you know, let's say A&M hires, um, is it uh, uh, the Texas State Bobcats head coach? Can you, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've or, seen or his Klein name. Or whatever. Uh, like something like that. And then that type of job opens up and he can be head coach at that type of thing. Regardless, we've talked about it. Uh, I would bet UTSA. Uh, UTSA. Yeah, yeah, because Trailer may be going somewhere. Uh, I would basically bet anything at this point in time that there will be another off, a new offensive coordinator. Maybe not even new, maybe not a new face uh, within the building, but there will be uh, a new person who of the position of Oklahoma offense coordinator yeah. uh, next year. Uh, just watching how that stuff kind of tumbles through and stuff. But, you know, you've got, you know, does, does Baylor move on? From, I mean, it's been bad. It's been very bad for Aranda at this point in time. Uh, you know, what does, uh, what does I guess we'll mention it again, what does USC do at defensive coordinator? I mean, there's so much. Does Kleiman move on? Silly season is here. Kleiman, no, no, Kleiman's. Why would he move on? He's set. I mean, I, he's. I think, I think him and, and Leopold are there. He, I, he does not fit in, I mean, for a lot of reasons, just from his pedigree. He doesn't yeah. fit in at UCLA. But. UCLA's going to the Big Ten. Kleiman belongs in the Big Ten. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that perspective. Um, I, I think UCLA, in order for it to be good, needs to um, embrace the Southern California recruiting aspect of it all. Uh, I think they seem to be a talent team. I don't know if they can be a scheme team. I think I think Jeff Kelly uh, proved they couldn't be a scheme team. Uh, yeah, I mean he, US- he recruits. Uh, you know, it's he recruits on Tuesdays. USC <laughs> and this is USC. Like not Lincoln Riley, yeah. but just like USC historically, USC is more the national recruiter and more the national school in terms of Southern California. So you're right. I mean, UCLA should just embrace what they are and be kind of a unique, funky team that can counterbalance the boringness that is the Big Ten because you can have success there. I mean, Chip Kelly had success, and at one point this season, there were people that thought. I mean, Joel Klatt was like they could be in the Pac-12 championship, and then it kind of fell off. But that's just because Chip Kelly doesn't like to recruit, so there are reasons. But no, it, it's going to be interesting. Like the the with how the calendar is now, with there being an extra signing day in December, and it's still we're still only a few, few years into that with NIL, with all the money being thrown around. It, it's just this isn't the college football I grew up with, where coaches are getting fired and there's still so much to play for in a regular season. Yeah, yeah, you have to make the move now because I, I mean I saw that too where people were like, "Wow, you wouldn't want to wait until Lincoln uh, Riley." I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what fucked OU. But is. people were like, "You wouldn't want to wait until after the uh, you know first you know, signing day." It's like, no, the the portal opens, not just the signing day, 
the first window of the portal opens the first week of December, I think. So, I mean, you've got people need to know where you're going to be, who's going to be there. You, you know, if you get a guy who's got some guys who can come with him, like look what happened at Wisconsin. Now, hasn't quite turned out the way they wanted to this year. But, you know, he takes half of the Cincinnati team with him. I mean, <laughs> you need to hire him at a certain point in time so they can get their guys and bring them in. This is only going to become sooner. But, yeah, November, the first week of November is going to be hiring firing season from now on. God, that's so odd. Yeah, because it used to be at right after the season. Uh, but now it's, yeah. now it's November because you have to get ready. You have to get a guy in there. Uh, and that's, yeah, and that's kind of what, you know, fucked over OU. Oh, you got their guy. But the guy had to settle wasn't for, had to settle for offensive coordinator. They couldn't change out the full offensive staff, even if they wanted to or didn't want to. Yeah. Same thing, you know, the only thing they could do is defensive staff because he knew he could bring some guys with them. Uh, but it's not like they did like a, a massive search or something of that re- as that that nature. Yeah, they didn't have the luxury. But no, it, it's gonna be. I mean, it's gonna be weird moving forward. But I, I guess this can kind of segue into something that that Matt and I have at least talked about. I know for a fact on no cap recap, and we might have talked about it on the free po- on the Tuesday pods a handful of times. But you know, we've already talked about the growth that we've seen from the program in year two under Brent. But with the, all the names that are already available that are out there right now that are probably going to be available within the next few months is Brent relinquishing defensive coordinator duties, a part of the growth that you want or that you see on the horizon for OU and Brent Venables. Or do you think that that's just a bridge that we don't need to cross or don't need to think about it? Like, cause I've already seen like people say like, Hey, hire this guy as the defensive coordinator of Ted and Ted roof can retire. And then that way Brent can be, more of a CEO head coach and have more of a say on the offense during the games or even during the weeks of preparation and not after the fact, after your offensive coordinator has torpedoed your playoff chances, you know? So um, is that something you've thought about or is, is this just kind of like pie in the sky? Brent is who he is and OU is married to that. And it still can be good. It can be successful. We don't know how successful, but um, I think a lot of people just kind of expect, I mean, coaches that are successful, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, they're defensive guys, but they've hired great defensive coaches to run their defenses, and they relinquish that in-the-moment kind of coaching responsibility to have the higher, like, bird's-eye view um, control of the program. I would I would honestly say I mean I mean just look at Nick Saban. You had Pete Golding kind of like that that experiment kind of fizzle out to he a certain was the degree. Next one. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's. I don't know. I think you keep Brent there. You you get a delegator at DC. That's just what it is. You hire these head coaches because you're hiring them, uh, one for their organizational skills to implement strategy and implement you know schemes from that nature, um, and, and to kind of guide the overall everything of a program. And in the as as we go more modern, it's not like when Barry Switzer was there, which was like I'm implementing this uh, version of the wishbone. Uh, you know we're gonna do this, and then uh, after I put that in there, um. Because you know he was, you, you could basically say Barry was the offensive coordinator slash head coach at, at that point in time. For for and he may not have been playing the calls. I'm not in, uh, calling the plays. I'm not entirely for sure on that perspective. And then handling the recruiting and booster and, and booster stuff. That's what Brent's doing. I mean, he's handling the recruiting. He's handling booster stuff. He's brought back the coaching carousel. He's doing all that stuff. Uh, and then implementing defense and then allowing Ted to call it and help out and stuff. And Ted's been around long enough to kind of get it from that perspective. I don't know. If it would be smart to say, um, it's like the old Lincoln Riley stuff we talked about for a long time. Oh, Lincoln needs to hire an OC. No, he doesn't. It's his fastball. 
no reason. Does he need someone else in the room to say, hey, we need to diversify some of these offensive attacks from a different way? Sure. Um, that does not seem to be the case for Brent Venables so far on defense. Uh, as well, he's gotten more of his guys in and more, they've been in the system more, the system's getting, you know, the results are getting better and better and better. So I don't know if I'd want to take that fastball away. And he's a, a defensive coach. I mean, I, I like, I think maybe we need to recalibrate who we think he is from that perspective. He is a defensive coach. That is his, that is his fastball. He needs to bring in people for the offense offensive side of it. Yeah. He's not a Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops is a Hall of Fame head coach who, from my understanding, like implemented the Auburn game plan and stuff like that. Like he knew how to run things from a, he knew how to coach offense for and the defense sugar bowl, and do it. Yeah, yeah, for the Sugar Bowl, he knew how to do all that stuff. Uh, like I'm not expecting us to hire Josh Heupel and say, "All right, now I want you to call the defensive plays." It's like, no, it just says it's not his. I mean, he, he, you know, everyone understands basic concepts like that, but Brent is going to think about that. Now, will Brent say, "I want this style of offense to be played under my regime, and we're going to do this"? One hundred percent. Do I think it's going to continue to be a high-paced, up-tempo uh, passing game? More than likely. I would honestly see us getting away from the run a little bit. Because right now we're like a 60-40 run pass split, something like that of that nature. I could see the next guy being more of a 60-40 pass um, from that, from just to kind of keep the pressure on. Because when um, Brent was at Clemson, they did not have super dynamic uh, uh, offenses. What they had were no. NFL football players at quarterback <laughs> and wide receiver and running back. Uh, that changed things. Uh, the teams they got beat by were not the – up-tempo run teams, which is what OU is. OU is an up-tempo run team. They run more than they pass. Um, they got beat by the teams that could put pressure on you. Where did they put pressure? Downfield. Teams that bombed it, and they would, it was unrelenting. Uh, and I think that's where Brent probably wanted Levy to go. Because, uh, again, you're looking at, what's Levy's body of work? UCF with Hypel, Lane Kiffin with Ole Miss and those are guys who are just bombing the just bombing, putting pressure downfield nonstop. Nothing breaks the defense more than that. Uh, I mean breaks the structure of a defense. Yeah, there's some like tough guy mentality. I talked about the Michigan game earlier. It's like we're just gonna grind you into dust. Sure. That takes a long time. <laughs> uh if you want to get up fast and get up early, you need to be pushing the ball uh as much as you humanly possibly can. So I think what happens is that we see a slight uh reinvention of the Oklahoma offense but becomes a little more pass-heavy, and you see the ball getting downfield a little bit more. Goodness. I know. It's. I mean, the uh, raid is here forever. Maybe it's a different version of the raid where, pushing, like I said, you're pushing the ball downfield more, uh, but you're never going to see Oklahoma look like Kansas State or something oh, of that nature. Not, not that I – I don't think that that should be the opposite of like, okay, well, we don't like this, so we need to do this because that's the opposite. Like, no, I think that there are other scenarios, and I think you've described it perfectly. And, and Brent knows what the offense needs to look like. My my whole point has just been like, I don't know what Brent's ethos is for offense because he's never really been asked about it, and he's never really kind of stated what it was similar to what Bob did when he got hired of like, I'm going to go hire the, the hardest defense, the hardest offensive coordinator I had to defend against, and that was Mike Leach and the air raid. Well, I'm assuming he probably said something like, "We're going to be uh, fast, aggressive." Uh, yeah, high like he, he 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 said some buzzwords that I we all want and agree with, and I think, I mean, even Kansas State would want their offenses to be like that, despite the fact that they don't run an offense that is conducive to those adjectives. 
you know, but but if you win, it's exciting. If it if you win three to nothing in a in a championship game, that's fun. So it's not fun to watch, but it's fun overall. But no, I mean it's just interesting. I mean, there's going to be names available. We'll see what happens across the the, the field of play. We'll see um, really what dominoes fall, including the portal. Because I think that's like the next thing that people, especially OU fans, are really interested in is just like, okay, so how many players from A&M are going to bail? And is one of those players David Hicks? <laughs> yeah. Come home! Yeah, the wish casting stuff, the portal and all that type of stuff. I mean... A&M's going to hire someone very splashy, and they're going to do yeah. everything that they can to keep their roster and their recruiting class intact. They might lose a few guys, but they were probably going to transfer with or without a new head coach. Yeah. You know, like those th- those minds are already made up, and they might lose a player or two on the recruiting trail, but they'll probably replace them with somebody else that, oh, that guy's coaching A&M now? Okay, and now I'm going to give them a chance. So, like, this – I mean, it happened with OU. Brent's first year, OU got some guys that – um, we were happy with. Oh, you got some guys that were not on our radar prior to Brent Venables, and we lost some guys yeah. that that, um, li- that were committed to Lincoln Riley. So that's just the thing that happens. But typically, it evens out. Yeah, it'll, it'll even out. Uh, I just don't know how much if we've seen Brent Venables and what he's done via the portal. Necessity I, I don't, I don't is how know. I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to be if you're going to be looking at that stuff and saying, "Oh, we're going to talk to your guys." I mean. Oklahoma does not seem to want to invest in it from that perspective. Maybe things change because it's the first year in, in the SEC and he knows he needs something in there or the, uh, you know, the, there's a, a reality of, of life uh, that happens from that perspective. And you're not going to turn down something falling in your lap, to be honest with you. But um, to me, I just see these type of guys would be going to a Georgia, would be going to an Ohio State. I mean, it just seems like the teams that would have gotten these guys originally will now get them because the money has dried up at Texas A&M. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that describes David Hicks for OU, right? It yeah. was, was going to be them. I can just I can just already see, like, it's, it's late December, early January, and some OU fan has screenshotted in the OU student database, Hicks, David. He's enrolled. He's in class. He's going to commit. I could already see that happening, but yeah. that—that's not me. I mean, we're by no means reporting anything. We're just talking OU football fan stuff. This is what fans talk about. It's the whole point. Um, I guess like let, let's kind of put a bow on the entire podcast um, for this week. I mean, we we kind of talked about what we broadly want to see against BYU. I mean, BYU is going to get Slovis back. Slovis is he to me? He's Emory Jones without the mobility. So the challenge that Emory Jones posed as a passer, that's what this Slovis kid is. Now, that doesn't mean he can't have a miracle game because we've seen awful quarterbacks have miracle games against Oklahoma. But like we already mentioned, like the OU defense this year, at this point should give us the hope and the expectation that that won't happen. It might happen for a drive or a quarter because of a bunch of weird factors that get cleaned up, but it shouldn't happen for the entire game. So, I mean, for you, is it as simple as – if they ride one running back and that running back has a good day and it's Gavin Sawchuck, assuming if that happens, then everything just basically falls into place. Or do you need to, see, or do you think, oh, you needs to show you a little bit more either offensively or defensively to go to Provo and get a win? BYU is like the rest of the teams Oklahoma's played uh, on its schedule, uh, minus Ar- Arkansas State, Tulsa, and Texas. Texas on the high end. They're a very good football team. 
The other two teams are bad. Uh, now, again, Arkansas State has a chance to make a bowl game. They're at 5-5 five and five right now. Uh, but they're just not, they're not belong in the same field yeah. as, uh, as Oklahoma. They are SMU, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. Kansas, I guess, is, is more, a little more elevated than them. I mean, they're just those teams. So Oklahoma just needs to play play its game. I mean, honestly, it, it's not like – I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Chuck, give Salchuk 20 carries, give Tyree 5, 10, um, he need, you know, he, throw the ball 20 times, and you win the ball game. Hopefully he's healthy. If Tawi Walker – like, yeah. OU needs Tawi Walker for th- this type of game. Yeah. In that environment, just someone to, like, if you have the lead, just pound them and show them that we're better physically than they are, and they don't, they don't want none of this smoke. Yeah, I mean, you have to hope – and if you're BYU, you're hoping, okay, the, the, it, the game kicks off at 10 a.m., which is, like, the earliest OU's ever kicked off except for one other time, I believe, if I read that right somewhere. Uh, and they're tired, and it's elevation, and, and that, like you're, things are going to get funky because they're going to be out all night the night before eating ice cream and drinking Dr. Pepper. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean th- you'll feel bloated. Yeah. That's not a good feeling. Yeah, it's not uh, – but no, I mean Oklahoma should just win this game. It sounds boring. It sounds kind of whatever. But Oklahoma should win this game. Now that said, they've got some huge. They've got some big bodies up front. They're an old. I mean, they they got all those Mormon dudes who are like thirty five. So I mean, they're going to be able to do some stuff and move some stuff. And it's not like the Oklahoma pass rush is that amazing. But they should just be able to play their if they can play their normal game. And against West Virginia, they, I don't think they played like to me. I don't believe Oklahoma played like above their level against West Virginia. Oh, no, I think that's no, just yeah. the, that's who they are. Because if you look at their analytics, I mean, statistically, OU Oklahoma is a top five, top the top ten, top five team still uh, in the most analytical models. They just played their game. If they can just play their game, stay sharp, uh, they win that game. And they're going to win this game uh, this week, uh, in my opinion, um, uh, going away. I, I think it's. Uh, we can do some uh, we can do some score predictions if you want to, but I think Oklahoma wins something like uh, 45, uh, 18, something like that. Uh, I want to make a note for myself on that. Yeah, forty five to eighteen. Yeah, I think it's just I mean it's just a big win. I I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of, of BYU to do it, but BYU hasn't done anything really of note. I mean, they beat a bad Arkansas team and they beat some it's, other bad teams. It was it was a good road victory. I mean. You, you go into a Power Five um, opponent's house, no matter how good or bad they are, and you you leave with a win. Like that's good. That's that, that's like oh, okay. That's probably probably wasn't expected. You probably expect the home team to win that in that situation. BYU did the, did the opposite and won that as a road dog. Um, so I mean, I don't want to take anything away. Like Arkansas sucks, and they do, and BYU's not very good. So I mean, having said all that, like it's a good win. But other than that, it's just been a whole bunch of. I mean, they took advantage of some. Malik Murphy turnovers to, I mean, they were at an arm's length from Texas in Austin. You know, like, again, like, BYU is just a program that historically, because they've always been in the WAC or the Mountain West or an independent school, um, they'll every once in a while play a program like an Oklahoma. They've played Texas a handful of times. They played OU back in 2009. They were very fortunate to break Sam's shoulder, and that OU didn't also have, didn't have Jermaine Gresham going into that game at all. Um, but they're a program that when they have these big-time opponents either come to their house or they come and play them, they rise to the occasion because it's just like Boise State in the bowl game against OU where it's like this is our one chance. And this is a much different factor because they've had the – now the Big 12 is probably yeah. by far the third or fourth 
best conference among the Power Five. But still, like the jump up from independent to every week you're playing Power Five talent. It's not the highest end talent, but you're playing Power Five talent and you're playing against Power Five coaches who know how to scheme. Yeah. Especially in the Big Twelve from the from an offensive standpoint. Um, that that wear and tear has really got to them. Yeah. So I think you have to remove the factor of okay, we've seen OU play schools like this, like Houston on the road in twenty sixteen season opener, that up and coming program with Tom Herman, Boise State and the Fiesta Bowl, that version of a West Virginia team in the Fiesta Bowl in 2007, like all these programs that are just trying to show that, no, 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 we can be up there with the big dogs. BYU is so far away from that because now they have to play that monotonous schedule in a Power 5 conference. So it's just weird because I was so adamant. As soon as BYU joined the conference and before we ever saw a schedule, I said, if OU plays BYU in Provo, they're losing the game. They're losing it. And then the schedule came out, and wouldn't you know it, BYU senior night, their final home game of the year, our final road game of the year, in November, it's in Provo. I'm like, great. But I also assumed that that would be a night game and that uh, the BYU fans would be all up on the milk, all milked up for that game. This is an 11 a.m. local kick for us, 10 a.m. local for them. I don't really see that playing out. I don't really see BYU being at the level that I thought that they could be at. So I'm kind of in line with you. I did pick OU to lose this game preseason, but I've all, I also picked them to lose two games in the preseason in the regular season, and they've already done that. So I'm kind of admonishing myself from having to be consistent um, in that respect. So I'm going to say OU should win like 47 to 17. You know, something along those lines where it's a rather dominant victory and OU's better talent plays out. But I will say a weird factor, another weird factor with Provo, just like Notre Dame, their field is not conducive to speed. They've got that tall, thick grass. And I've just heard teams over the years that have gone to Provo that rely on team speed always kind of come back and say like, man, that field was just kind of tricky to play on. Couldn't get our footing. So this is definitely a game. You do not run sideways. Yeah. I don't care how big they are, how old they are, how world traveled they are. Run at them. You're a better team, OU. Just go prove it. Please, please, Jeff Lubby. Just two more games in the regular season, then you can go do whatever the fuck you want at Houston. And and those scores may seem uh, uh, big spreads, in your opinion, but according to Action Nation, OU is favored by 24 and a half, so I only have them covering by a field goal. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean... OU is victory. Yeah, OU is seen to be the better team. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I think we covered everything. We had a nice little rambly conversation. Hells yeah. Uh, goodness. I can't believe the season's already almost over. But I know. No, like uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, um, Alan's going to put out some more posts this week on our Patreon, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Once again, we are almost to 100 patrons. And if you are the 100th patron, I will try my best to reach out to you or reach out to me on Twitter at Brady does sports. And I will probably hook, I will more than likely, I will hook you up with something in order to be our 100th patron because we appreciate that. But I'm going to assume that once the big 12 announces, like whatever the hell convoluted scenario is the one that whichever ones need to play out. I'm sure Keyhole will put something else out because of course this is very important news for OU fans and we want to be on top of everything as much as we can. But uh, any other final thoughts? You know, college football OU this week against BYU or moving forward, Peyton? Uh, 
Nothing. Enjoy, like I said, enjoy it. There's much of silly season going on. The big. Uh, this is what college football is all about. Beyond, I mean, college football is. You get to watch it. Obviously, twelve weekends out of the year for the for the uh, regular season, you get to have fun. But it never sleeps. Flight tracker season's here. Uh, <laughs> we still got to figure out if Michigan State's going to sue Ohio State or something. I mean, there's there's all kinds of this really really fun stuff. That uh, you know, college football is, is more like professional wrestling than I think maybe uh, some of us want to uh, admit. But it's a twenty four hour news cycle. It, it's the best sport. So just enjoy yourself. Even though the season's starting to wind down, uh, we're getting to the fun part of it all. Well, I I also forgot to ask you one quick question. Uh, something that's going to be on everybody's mind, especially if OU takes care of business against mm-hmm. BYU. You know, we're going to have all day to like really scoreboard watch and enjoy that aspect of college football. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Like. Oh, you! I would rather oh you go undefeated and not mm-hmm. give a shit, but that rarely happens. So when it doesn't, it's like okay, now we got to see this guy's got to lose. This team needs to win big or whatever. People have circled the Iowa State game in Ames for Texas for a few weeks now. That I've kind of just this will be the game that Texas destroys an opponent because they really haven't dominated an opponent in a while. They've had a ton of close games. They've had a ton of game. They've had a few games that frankly. They could have very well lost straight up, not because of an officiating call like with OU or questionable play calling, but just straight up they could have lost games that they had in control. And, yeah, they've not had Quinn Ewers for a few weeks. But, I mean, how do you see Texas-Iowa State playing out in Ames? I just I kind of think Texas is going to really assert themselves and just say, no, we're not letting OU backdoor into the Big 12 title game. I agree. I think I think Texas <laughs> handles its business. Uh, can I don't Iowa, believe I don't trust Matt Campbell. No, I don't <laughs> trust Matt Campbell at all. Do I believe its defense can make things interesting and keep it kind of close? Sure, I, I think it, I think I think the game you see is uh, it's just it's the uh, TCU game all over again for against Texas, where it's like, why is Texas in this predicament? <laughs> I think that's what you're going to see with Texas uh, winning. I mean, their red zone offense is terrible. Uh, and then Iowa State is not a team you score deep on very often. I mean, Oklahoma did it this year, oddly enough. Uh, but their defense is built to not allow you to do that. So I just don't think they're going to have a bunch of Xavier-worthy bombs or touchdowns or something. They'll have to work down the field and have to score in the red zone, which you're not good at. So that means there's going to be field goals or there's going to be a turnover on downs or turnovers. Um, I think it'll just be a frustrating – if I'm a Texas fan, it's just a super frustrating game, which OU well, – I'm sorry, which Texas wins by a single possession. You know, like, the interesting thing would have been, like, one of their few dominant victories this year has been against Kansas when Kansas came to Austin. But a lot of that had to deal with the fact that Jason Bean literally found out he was going to play quarterback maybe, like, 10 minutes before the game started. And Kansas had to scrap whatever game plan they had for Jaden Daniels to go up against Texas. And I believe they were tied or down three or up three at half, Kansas was. Can't remember exactly. And then Texas asserted themselves in the second half. I'd have really liked to see Kansas with Jason Bean as the established, like he's he's been practicing, you know, first team reps all week, and we're game planning for him to be the starter to play against Texas. That would have been a really good comparison, I think, despite the fact OU's beaten Texas head up straight up. But like I said, OU's lost two games; they forfeited a lot of their privilege. Um, Oklahoma State—they're on the road against Houston, or are they playing them in Stillwater? Cannot remember. I'm trying to look it up. Uh, real fast, I'm Houston. seeing this. Uh, Brick McMurphy just tweeted, due to his, uh, uh, I guess, sources at the Action Network, the Big Twelve title, a Big Twelve title game tiebreaker update. If multiple Big Twelve teams are tied and one team holds wins versus the other teams in tiebreaker, then that team wins the tiebreaker. So they have technically changed 
their tiebreaker rules, and now Oklahoma State uh, will, if everything win, if everyone wins out, Oklahoma State will go instead of Kansas State uh, from this perspective. Okay, so they changed the rule. Yeah, so we're, let wild. me let me read the whole thing. Big Twelve title. This is from Brett McMurphy, like you said. Big Twelve title game. Big 12 title game tiebreaker update. That's hard to say. If multiple Big 12 teams are tied and one team holds wins versus other teams in tiebreaker, then that team wins tiebreaker, source told Action Network HQ, first report by Barry Trammell. This may come into play with OU, OSU, Iowa State, and Kansas State all 5-2 and two in league play. Big 12 ADs have regularly scheduled have a regular scheduled call Wednesday and are also expected to restate intent of tiebreaker. Quote, there's no change in our rules, source said. Head-to-head results take precedence similar to industry standards, unquote. There's no change in there's no change in the rules. However, we're changing them. <laughs> so, I mean, OU is essentially waiting like hoping for OSU to lose. Right? Yes. I mean, obviously, if Texas loses, then that is interesting. But then that could that could then be like a multiple five, like five and two teams. You know, so you want OSU, you want there to be less two loss teams. There's gonna be you want there to be one one loss team, Texas. Yes. And then fewer two loss teams. So yes. OSU or can like OSU or Kansas need to lose. OSU's got Houston on the road, and then BYU and Stillwater. Losable games. Losable games because OSU is not very good. No, and they've they've capped probably, themselves. They can beat Houston. <laughs> well, they can beat be, be, they, they can, can beat both teams. They can beat both teams. They can lose to both teams, and the reason why is because they've capped themselves because of like what what Lunt was expressing to you prior to the OSU game on the uh, preview pod on Keyhole, um, on the Patreon page. Excuse me. Um, they've simplified their offense. We we know what they had to do, but it caps yourself. Everybody knows what you're going to do, and if they can take that away or slow it down like OU did against Oklahoma State, they present the chance for you to be beaten and beaten rather easily. OU had six drives stopped defensively of OSU because they said, hey, Allen, keep throwing the ball. Please keep doing that. And at one and it, it got to a point where it started to decay their offense because they couldn't just rely on handing it off to Ollie Gordon. And OU had six chances to extend their four-point lead, and Jeff Libby had other plans. And yes, like players drop passes, I get that, but I'm 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 mad at Jeff Levy. So all this to say, OSU at Houston at three o'clock. I know everyone's excited for Texas Iowa State. OU beats BYU. They need to do that. OSU Houston. That will tell me if okay, maybe there's some magic waiting for this team. So Dana Holgerson, go get your revenge against Mike Gundy. OU go take care of business, at Provo, and we can all be happy on Saturday. Let's get it done. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Through the Keyhole. We greatly appreciate it. Once again, Through the Keyhole has a Patreon page, www.com slash Patreon, or www.patreon.com slash Through the Keyhole. There you go. There we go. There we go. There we go. Also, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would greatly appreciate that as well. Alan will be back with more written posts. You can hear Matt on the no cap recap following the BYU game alongside either me or a combination of me and Peyton and Allen, whoever is available, but Allen will post his observation thoughts on the BYU game shortly thereafter on the Patreon page. So we've got a lot to look forward to everybody. Uh, thank you for continuing with us. We appreciate all the fun. We appreciate doing this. It's a lot of fun 
on our end. So until next time, everybody, for Matt Burton, Alan Kenny, who are not here, but for Peyton Guthrie, who is here, and myself, Brady Trantham. Boomer! Sooner!